Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, a false alarm at Findlay's Ball Metal Plant caused some anxious moments over the weekend. Hancock County Sheriff Michael Heldman discusses the training and collaboration involved in preparing for an active shooter alert. Also this morning, the state of our schools 2021. Are taxpayers getting enough bang for the buck when it comes to the construction of modern education facilities? We get insights from a new report by the International Well Building Institute. And the Real Money Real World Student Financial Literacy Program returns to area schools this fall. They have details on that and other programs at the Hancock County OSU Extension. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, September 14th, 2021. Today is Eat a Hoagie Day, uh, also National Coloring Day, National Cream-Filled Donut Day. Now, there is something that we can all get behind, <laughs> National Cream-Filled Donut Day. It is Gobstopper Day, National Live Creative Day, and Support Latino Business Day today. Reasons to celebrate. So, uh, if you're having trouble getting up and wiping the sleep out of your eyes this morning, particularly for you guys. Take note of this. Researchers from Uppsala University. I have no idea where that is. Don't ask me. I don't know. Researchers from Uppsala University finds that men's sleep may be more powerfully influenced by the lunar cycle than women's. They specifically found that during the moon's waxing period, which is, let's see here, where the illuminated surface of the moon seen from, seen from Earth gradually increases. This is the waxing period of the lunar cycle. Uh, during that period, men showed lower sleep efficiency and increased time awake after sleep onset compared to during the moon's waning period, where the illuminated surface of the moon seen from earth gradually decreases it is thought that one way the moon may impact sleep has to do with sunlight reflected by the moon right around the times that uh, people usually go to bed and a recent study suggests the male brain may be more responsive to ambient light than the female brain is still researchers say this study does not prove causation Again, what's that we always say with scientific stuff? Correlation does not equal causation. They have yet to prove causation, and additional research is needed. But, uh, men, you can blame it on the moon. Can't, uh, can't get to sleep. Kind of interesting. A new report. This is one of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. To get your Tuesday morning started, new report out yesterday says that social media is making political polarization worse. And this report from the NYU Stern Center for Business and Human Rights charges that social media platforms have failed to, quote, self-regulate sufficiently. And they are calling for government action. We've got to get the government involved. Although some would argue that It's government involvement that's causing the problem. And that's what people are griping about on social media. See, this is the thing. Um, I I read this and it just kind of, it sits a little wonky with me because I read this report and it sounds to me like you've got these um, high academic elites. We're saying that social media really needs to crack down on people thinking differently than we do. (laughs) And it's not the... To me, this is my my take on this. It's not that people feel differently. Uh, or it's not that, that people... Uh, now, how do I want to word this? <laughs> I had it in my brain, and now I'm having trouble uh, communicating this. It's not that... Uh, the, the problem isn't that there are social media platforms where people can express uh, these views. What they're really upset about is that people have other views other than their own. Uh, Anyway, the uh, NYU Stern Center for Business and Human Rights says that polarization is having real-world consequences 
which we are seeing eroding aspects of democracy and civil relationships among people and trust in institutions. I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, you know, obviously, I think we've all experienced that where social media is uh, leading to uh, more people, you know, sniping at each other and, you know, getting snippy and, and not being polite to each other. And, and yes, there is that issue. And yeah, that is a problem. But uh, it just seems like the whole tenor of this report seems to indicate that they want either the social media companies themselves crack down on any dissenting views or have the government step in and uh, do it. That's not necessarily going to fix the problem. I'm arguing here, but uh, anyway. So there was that, and I'm sure that uh, there will be some discussion of that. Uh, again, most buzzworthy stories. People will be buzzing about that one when it gets out. A team of scientists and entrepreneurs announced yesterday that they have started a company called Colossal. And the goal of Colossal is a colossal goal to use genetic engineering to bring back the woolly mammoth. I kid you not. The woolly mammoth went extinct some 10,000 years ago. The company has gotten $15 million in initial funding and will support research at Harvard Medical School, or I'm sorry, at the lab of Dr. George Church, a biologist at Harvard Medical School. I don't know that the lab is at Harvard or this has any connection whatsoever to Harvard, just that the biologist who is in charge of this um, is a Harvard Medical School biologist. So uh, let's see here. They, oh, it goes on to say they were going to uh, carry out experiments in their own labs in Boston and in Dallas. So apparently Harvard not really associated with this, just this uh, biologist here. Uh, Colossal, I just love that name, Colossal, will use technology to edit elephant DNA, adding genes for mammoth traits like dense hair and thick fat. They hope to produce embry embryos of the mammoth-like elephants in a few years and grow them in artificial mammoth in an artificial mammoth uterus lined with uterine tissue grown from stem cells and ultimately create entire populations of them to be released on the Siberian tundra, which was the mammoth's former habitat. And uh, I saw this um, on the uh, Newswire. It's a report in the New York Times says that other researchers are skeptical that it will work, and if it does, they will face serious ethical questions, including is it humane to produce an animal whose biology we know so little about? Who gets to decide whether they can be set loose, potentially to change the ecosystems of the tundras in profound ways? And my question, which I think is the most important question in this story, have you not seen Jurassic Park? That's Anyway. I understand the woolly mammoth is not, uh, you know, a T-Rex. It's not quite on that same level. But you get the general idea, right? Go back and rewatch Jurassic Park and think maybe this isn't such a good idea. Maybe there's a reason why Mother Nature uh, did away with the woolly mammoths. Maybe God was saying, you know what? Probably not the best idea. Let's let that draw. Let's let that die out, and we'll try again. And along came the elephant, and that was better. So, I don't know. What do I know? New York is aiming to ban the sale of all gas-powered vehicles in the state by 2035. Now, this is 2021, right? So, that's not that far away. A bill amending the state's environmental conservation law was passed by the Senate in New York and the Assembly and signed by... Uh, the new governor, Kathy Huckle, last week, under the new law, 100% of in-state sales of new passenger cars and trucks will have zero emissions by 2035. That's the hook. That's the catch. 100% of in-state sales of new passenger cars and trucks will have zero emissions by 2035. People just go over to New Jersey. People just uh, drive to New Jersey or Connecticut or uh, Pennsylvania uh, any of the neighboring states, and they'll buy the vehicles there. Um, I mean, it's that simple to work around the law. State agencies, they say, will work to develop affordable powering options for zero emission, zero emission vehicles in all communities, improves, in other words, charging stations, improve sustainable transportation, and support bicycle and pedestrian options. 
Several agencies will work to create a zero-emissions vehicle market development strategy by 2023 to ensure more zero-emission cars are available in the state. So, stay tuned. As, uh, California's already done that, right? They've uh, decided to ban gas-powered vehicles. Is it by 2035? I was thinking it was closer to 2040, 2050, something like that. But uh, anyway, it does appear to be the future for better or for worse. And a couple of uh, corporate stories here uh, among the first things you need to know this morning. Aldi says it's uh, 2021 collection wine advent calendar is going to be 10 bucks cheaper this year. It's a very popular Christmas item. <laughs> the 2021 collection wine advent calendar will sell for $59.99 instead of $69.99. The wine calendar also features new varietals. It will be available at all the grocery stores uh, starting on the first Wednesday in November. In a statement, Aldi said it would be launching additional advent calendars throughout November and December. So watch for those. My wife is going to be very excited. Wine advent calendar is going to be cheaper this year. And Taco Bell is testing a 30-day taco subscription service. They're trying to create more frequent visits to their restaurants. Subscribers to the Taco Lovers Pass can order one soft taco, one crunchy taco, spicy potatoes soft taco, or Doritos Locos taco per day for 30 days on the Taco Bell app. The cost of the Taco Lovers Pass starts at $5 and can go up to $10 per month depending on the location. The fast food chain is testing the program at 17 locations in Tucson, Arizona. So apparently this is not rolling out nationwide just yet, but if you are a fan of Taco Bell... Uh, I would say if you're a fan of Taco Bell food, but that'd be stretching it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's terrible. Uh, stay tuned. So there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly sunny today with a high of 89, a chance of showers and a storm tonight, a low of 67. This year's Susan G. Komen Findlay Race for the Cure is moving to a virtual format. Mary Westfall, Komen Director for Ohio and Michigan, says the current spike in Hancock County COVID cases requires that they take every precaution to ensure the safety of everybody involved. We know our breast cancer survivors are definitely at risk with compromised immune systems, and we didn't want to do anything that could put anyone at risk. She said the decision to move to a virtual format was made after consulting with their presenting sponsors, Marathon and Blanchard Valley Health System. The event was also virtual last year. A virtual kickoff ceremony will be held on Saturday, September 25th at 9 a.m. Get more on our website. Governor DeWine has delayed four more executions in keeping with his contention that lethal injection is no longer an option in Ohio because of the ongoing lack of drugs for the procedure. The governor has said lawmakers must choose a different method of capital punishment before any inmates can be executed. DeWine postponed executions scheduled for next winter and spring until 2024 and 2025. Despite the unofficial moratorium on executions, the Ohio Supreme Court recently set new execution dates for two inmates, both in 2025. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The Fostoria Police Division will be holding a gun safety course for women from the Fostoria area. Officers will provide instruction to women on gun safety for a variety of firearms. The course will be held on Saturday, October 2nd. Get more details on our website. The Southwestern Hancock Joint Fire District recently got some great news. They were awarded a sizable federal grant. It's a uh, large, substantial amount of money. It's definitely a blessing. It'll help us um, to replace outdated old used equipment. District Fire Chief Corey Miracle says they'll use the money to replace 39 air packs and to purchase a Cascade compressor filling station to refill air bottles after calls. Get more on the grant on our website. 
Matt Demchak with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. The latest news, sports, weather, and so much more. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. As we mentioned, our cover story this morning, uh, some anxious moments over the weekend for local authorities, a false alarm at uh, Findlay's Ball Metal Plant. Uh, led uh, authorities to investigate an active shooter alert, which turned out to be a false alarm. Sheriff uh, Michael Heldman is uh, with us this morning. But I would imagine, you know, I've often heard that uh, for law enforcement officers, like a domestic violence or a family dispute call is uh, maybe the the most scary type of call because you never know what you're walking into. But I got to imagine that uh, these days an active shooter alert has got to be a close second. Yes, it is. It could be almost a first. Because... Uh, this situation being what it was, one call comes in on 911 to our dispatch mm-hmm. and no other calls. And in today's society... So you just don't know. You don't know. Yeah. But in today's society, everybody has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. There would be multiple calls, you would think. You would think. And so we didn't know what we were getting into for you know quite some time. And the officers that arrived, the first... They got together with, we, we dispatched our op deputies. We contacted the highway patrol and the Finley police department and everybody that was available went mm-hmm. and they did as they're trained and they went into the building as soon as possible. Yeah, and that's a, that's a big building. I mean, to, to go to 144,000 square feet. Yeah. So I, obviously that takes a while to figure out exactly Correct. what it is that you're, uh, that you're dealing with. As you mentioned, um, there, there is a tremendous amount of uh, interagency uh, cooperation for an event like this. Yes, and for the last several years, we have trained that way, and we have with a, it's a, a book that we put together several years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Price and um, Rob Martin was involved with that, uh, Chief Ring, different ones around the community. Uh, retired uh, Lieutenant uh, Scott Lowry was involved, and we put this together. It's called a fog book, but it's how we re- – you know, everything is in there, how we react, what we do, who mm-hmm. goes, where the staging areas. And I commend Ball Metal for what they did, getting their employees out of the building, away mm-hmm. from everything, mm-hmm. and to their rendezvous points so they could tell us, yes, every employee is accounted for. Yeah. There... There have been uh, incidents, uh, whether we're talking about alerts or uh, reports that turn out uh, to be uh, false alarms uh, in the past. You always have to assume that this is something that is actually going on. That's correct. And we, uh, from the time the call came in, uh, I was conversing back and forth with Lieutenant Price, and he was uh, telling me, you know, basically what was happening. We both responded eventually, and... Uh, when I arrived, I still didn't know because we were just starting to get the second wave of deputies and uh, police officers there with the ERT teams to go in to relieve the people that were in there. Mm-hmm. Other thing was on this situation, this is extremely loud in production and it is about 110 degrees in there. So our people going in dressed as they are with their vests and everything on, we knew we had to get the first wave of people out of there because it was of uh, the heat. That's a, that's a good point that uh, probably people don't think about. How much how much training goes into? I know from time to time you have these types of emergency training uh, sessions. How frequently is that done, and how how much training goes into responding to a situation like this? Our emergency response team, or special response team, as it's called and the Finley Police Department, they tr- we trained together. Uh, we didn't train as much as we are now, but we want to train a recorder together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been training with the Wood County Sheriff's Office on a monthly basis. So the emergency response team, they have this type of training monthly, uh, sometimes twice per month, depending on what the schedule falls. But they have, but not necessarily going into a factory setting such as this. Mm-hmm we see that we need to do more of that. We need to get into more of the factories because if, if there was an actual uh, shooting incident in some of the other factories we haven't been into, yeah, 
How do we search it? Well, that was one of the other uh, questions. I remember uh, talking about this uh, several years ago when there was a concerted effort to focus on uh, the possibility of school uh, incidents. Right. And uh, you got together with the uh, school districts and you got like blueprints and plans yep. so you know where all the corridors are, where all of the yes. storage closets are and so on. Do you have similar uh, documents to kind of give Not you a- not at this point. We do not. So for and the plants and yeah, other yeah. facilities. Like other than we know that it's large. And yeah. what some of the deputies remarked came out that was coming out, we didn't realize there's multiple tiers mm. inside the building with machinery and everything that they do and catwalks and all these things that had to be searched. Yeah, so that so an incident like this uh, does lead to better procedures. Uh, it's, I guess with any uh, incident, you do sort of a post-mortem and analysis afterwards exactly. and say, what do we need to do moving forward? And on Thursday, there will be a meeting and that, with all the agencies involved in discussing that. I know that you mentioned earlier, uh, given the times that we live in, everybody's got a, a cell phone. Everybody has constant connection to the Internet. And, and I know uh, the way I first heard of the incident uh, this weekend uh, was via Facebook. People were posting right. on Facebook that they had they had heard something was was going on. They heard that there was a, an active shooter situation. Does that complicate things for the law enforcement response uh, situation? This situation wasn't quite as bad, uh, but there's other times when there's uh, injury, fatal type of accidents. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, it does. And many, and I know this incident in particular, there was some false information being put out about uh, the, there was an actual shooting. There was actual injuries and yeah. deaths. Uh that, a lot that, of misinformation. Misinformation. Yeah. And I don't know how that started or where it came from. Uh, of course, even with the most technology, people can have to, you know, they can listen to our radios through via some type of scanner mm-hmm. on the internet, on your phone. Yeah. Um, but I don't, you know, do they actually know what we're saying and how we're saying it? Yeah. So uh, just as uh, something for people to keep in mind that, uh, you know, information flows pretty easily, right. but it's not always accurate. And we try to put out information as soon as possible. Um, you know, I, I got a hold of Matt Demchek and mm-hmm. I gave him some information when right. I knew what I had and what was correct. And, uh, he was there, but, uh, it was a uh, until it was all completely over. Uh, it was about six thirty, and we so quite were, several hours. Yes, uh, yes, to figure out exactly what you had or what right. you didn't have. Exactly uh, to to deal with. And as you mentioned, um, this is one of those things that uh, again you look at the interagency uh, cooperation, uh, and and you will apply. You know, some of what happened here, as you do with every incident, right. to uh, moving forward. Yes. Uh, fascinating stuff. And, and just, uh, again, thank thank goodness everything turned out the way it did. And I want to thank all the agencies that helped us. The cooperation was terrific. Uh, bringing in the three outside counties to help uh, patrol our roads until we were able to get back on the road. Which is another yes. uh, aspect of this that, again, uh, a lot of times will go overlooked uh, because you have all of the, that presence at one location yep. that leaves an awful lot of area uh, uncovered correct. otherwise. Again, uh, Sheriff Michael Heltman with us uh, this morning. Sheriff, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate Thank you. Well, a new report out this month from the Well-Building Institute takes a comprehensive look into the current state of our nation's school facilities funding and draws attention to the disparity across the country in funding efforts. Rachel Hogsden is a president and CEO of the International Well-Building Institute. Rachel, what are some of the key findings of this State of Our Schools 2021 report? Well, first off, that in general, the condition of our public schools is pretty darn awful. Our school infrastructure was facing a national emergency, and then COVID-19 took a bad long-term situation with our school buildings and made it urgent. So our new report uh, that we published in collaboration with the 21st Century School Fund and the National Council on School Facilities shines a light on that severe and chronic underinvestment to the tune of $85 billion a year. 
that's eroding our country's ability to provide safe, healthy, and sustainable schools. That number is up 85% since we issued the report in 2016. So that is not necess- some of that is not necessarily uh, news the the fact that uh, our schools much like a lot of our infrastructure in this country uh needs some uh desperate attention I am rather curious uh especially curious to know how Ohio's schools stack up against the overall average because as you may know our state has funneled billions of taxpayer dollars into the Ohio School Facilities Construction Commission over the past many years for this specific purpose to upgrade and modernize school buildings across the state, funding that many local districts have made use of. Does this report suggest or do you believe that taxpayers are are getting the proper return on that investment for those uh, new facilities that uh, are being constructed? So the great news, as you mentioned, is that Ohio has made this massive investment in rebuilding their public school infrastructure. The state of Ohio has more LEED certified green schools than any state in the entire country. But the shadow side of that is that they're still underinvesting by $4.4 billion in the state's public school facilities every year. And that means that even those new beautifully constructed schools are going to quickly fall into a state of disrepair. We also know in Ohio that the spending is extremely inequitable. For Ohio's rural school districts, they received more than $1 million less per school than what was spent uh, per school in suburban districts. Part of the issue here is that between the states and the school districts, they simply can't marshal the necessary funds to keep their schools in good condition. And that's because the federal government provides only 1% of the total cost for keeping school facilities working at their best. So with that knowledge then, what should parents and really all taxpayers, because we all have skin in the game here, what should we be thinking about or, or demanding uh, of our uh, schools and the school facilities construction commission and so on to make these uh, district buildings safer, healthier, more sustainable and uh, uh, quality that, that will last uh, a lifetime and then some like the buildings they're replacing? Well, parents and teachers and concerned citizens have a really important role to play right now. I think that the most important thing to do is to pick up the phone and call your member of Congress, call your representative. There's $82 billion on the table for school facilities improvements in the infrastructure bill that's being debated in Congress right now. And so we need to make sure that that money stays in the bill and goes to those those communities that need it the most. I think the Ohio school facilities folks are doing the best that they possibly can, but there just isn't enough money to go around. And those that have the least are suffering the most. In terms of um, the features of buildings that are being constructed and schools that are being improved. Um, you mentioned, you talk about LEED certified uh, buildings and, and so on. What, what should be the priorities for these uh, school? Because in any construction project, you're going to have choices to make. You're not ever going to get everything that you want in a new building, whether that's true, whether we're talking about a school, a business, whatever. So what should the priorities be? What should be at the top of that list? Right. I mean, let's talk about the priorities for all schools, not just newly constructed schools. You Mm -hmm. can take Orville schools in Ohio as a great example of this. Um, They're utilizing our framework, the well-building standard, to raise the bar uh, for all of their students, teachers, and staff. They're focused on improving indoor air quality, which is so important right now because COVID-19 is an airborne disease. And so we've got to be focused on improving filtration and ventilation, which is one of the best ways to keep our students safer. We also need to be focusing on quality drinking water. A lot of our schools have water that's simply not safe for consumption. We need to use healthier materials and cleaning products, uh, introduce more natural light um, and adequate lighting within the school facilities, improve our acoustics, but also take some um, more behavioral actions as well, like making sure that 
kids and teachers are getting up and moving enough throughout the day or that they're sourcing food that's more nourishing. Um, and right now, one of the biggest uh, areas of concern um, is in supporting all of the trauma that we've suffered throughout the course of the pandemic by providing uh, for different strategies, policies, and facilities that support mental health and well-being. Obviously, every school and every school district is going to be a little bit different and have slightly different needs. How much can we uh, take from what works in one district, in one state, or even uh, other districts within our own state and apply them universally? To be honest, those provisions are really the same in every school. And not only that, but the kinds of improvements that we would make to keep our kids safe during the pandemic, those same improvements are going to serve us just as well. Uh, when we're combating the seasonal flu or the common cold. Um, the truth is that, you know, while some of the changes or the interventions might be different, what we're looking for to come out on the other side is exactly the same. Air that's safe to breathe, water that's clean uh, and good to drink, um, and uh, lighting, acoustics, um, and other conditions that are optimized for learning and that are optimized for teaching. Again, Rachel Hodgden is president CEO of the International Well Building Institute. Their State of the Schools 2021 report is out now. Where do we learn more about it? You can visit stateofourschools2021.org, and there you can download a free copy of the report, and you'll also be able to access a state-specific profile so that you can learn a little bit more about what's going on in your neck of the woods. Interesting information, uh, not just for parents, but again, all taxpayers, since we all have a stake in this. Rachel, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This is not how you pay a toll. This is not... Uh, Toll workers at the uh, turnpike booths, hey, they don't, don't want to see this. The Florida Highway Patrol says that Mark Filiaw was booked into the Osceola County Jail on Saturday on charges that he exposed himself to various toll collectors <laughs> over the course of a week. He didn't just do this once. He didn't, in, he didn't even just do this on one day. He did this over the course of several days. Uh, spanning a week's time at several different toll booths. Seven instances in all uh, that happened each uh, morning around uh, 7 a.m. as he entered the cash lanes of the toll plazas. (laughs) I don't know why he did that. He had no cash. He was stark naked. He uh, faces multiple charges of indecent exposure. What would possess someone to do something like that? I wonder. Actually, I don't want to know. Now that I think about it, I just don't. A very unusual theft, and that's not, that's par for the course for the uh, broken news, unusual thefts. But this really takes the cake. Uh, In Pasadena, California, authorities say that a man has been arrested after breaking into a home, and the only thing that he stole was a pooper scooper. <laughs> That's right. A uh, pooper scooper was the only thing taken from the home. It all went down on Sunday night when two residents called the police after hearing noises from inside their home. As it turns out, the culprit had broken into the the home through a living room window. After wrecking the back porch, the intruder was spotted leaving the property with a stolen pooper scooper, and was later found at a nearby grocery store. Uh, One William Martin Austin, age 62, has been booked on suspicion of burglary. Uh, Bail has been set at $50,000 pending his court appearance. 50 grand for stealing a pooper scooper. (laughs) Well, all right then. I guess that is one of those things that you really should not be without. If you have pets, by the way, speaking of such things, was it yesterday on the program? Uh, I think we were talking about uh, scientists are trying to genetically engineer a non-farting cow (laughs) because the methane that cattle produce has been blamed 
as a serious contributor to uh, global warming. Well, so scientists are trying to genetically engineer a cow that doesn't fart as much. Um, There are other attempts to combat this problem. Researchers uh, in Germany are trying to potty train their cattle for the same purpose. Basically, a new paper published in the journal Current Biology (laughs) says, which doesn't make the broken news very often, says German researchers are trying to train cattle to do their business on a special surface in the pasture where their droppings can be collected and treated to reduce ammonia emissions. The study says in just a few weeks, 11 of the 16 cows were able to regularly relieve themselves in the designated area. The system is called Mulu training because the cows using the restroom Mulu. Mulu training is intended to keep waterways clean and cut greenhouse gas emissions. The researchers hope this training can be adapted and used at other farms and facilities around the world. Well, thank goodness scientists are on top of this. I guess you can train your cat. You can train your dog. Why not train your cow? This is a little bit weird. A bell that was believed to be on the ship the Santa Maria during Christopher Columbus's voyage to America is going up for auction next month in Miami. It is a 10-inch wide bell, weighs just under 31 pounds, was discovered in the shores of North Portugal back in 1994 and was the focus of a legal battle over rightful ownership. It has been kept in an undisclosed location in Miami since 2006, and now it is being made available via private auction. Now, you would think that a relic from the Santa Maria, one of Christopher Columbus's ships, should be in a museum someplace. Not, I would think, not in a private collection. But Christie's and Sotheby's have both estimated the bell worth at least $100 million. That would be a conversation piece for your knickknack shelf, to be sure. A bell from the Santa Maria. I just thought that was odd. That it's not going to a museum. It's going to uh, be auctioned off. And uh, lastly... The broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. Man from Steamboat Springs, Colorado, said he inadvertently has created a haven for a local bear on his back porch. Um, Chris Ward said he uh, put a, a sofa out on his back deck for outdoor lounging in the summer when the weather was nice. <laughs> and a local bear decided to... Uh, Uh, just kind of get comfy (laughs) on the couch. Uh, And so he's not actually been able to use his sofa to lounge out and enjoy the nice weather, put it out in the spring, and the bear immediately kind of made it his his own spot and has, in the process, shredded the couch. He said it is so shredded that it is no longer usable by humans, and uh, once the bears go into hibernation for the winter, he'll get rid of it. But in the meantime, uh, he and his significant other have been enjoying watching the bear uh, from a <laughs> from inside their home uh, through the uh, picture window. There's video on uh, on TikTok, I believe, of uh, the couple uh, interacting with the bear through the window <laughs> as the bear gets comfy on the couch. Out to- I don't know how thick this window is, but uh <laughs> Uh, Mr. Ward says he has also been careful to keep his property free of garbage or or food or anything else that might attract the bear. But the bear is attracted to the couch, so he's been (laughs) making himself comfy for the past several months. It's a cute video. Uh, There you go. That is uh, today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. 
It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spot, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Of course, over the weekend, we observed the 20th anniversary of the attacks of September 11th. And in the aftermath of 9-11, of course, uh, legislation like the Patriot Act is probably the the most uh, high-profile legislation that was passed uh, that greatly expanded the government's ability to surveil uh citizens and non-citizens alike and it was at the time uh understood that this was a necessary precaution to prevent further future terrorist attacks but now two decades on how do americans feel about government surveillance programs like the patriot act today According to a new poll from the Associated Press and the National Opinion Research Center, one of the largest independent social research organizations in the United States, just 28% favor, for example, warrantless telephone surveillance in 2021. Again, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, these things were very commonly accepted as necessary precautions. Uh, But today, just 28% Uh, of Americans uh, favor warrantless telephone surveillance. In 2011, 49% of Americans favored it. So on the 10th anniversary, it was uh, more evenly split. So it's interesting to see how support has declined over the years. Um, These days, 44% oppose such monitoring. It was 34% a decade ago. Uh, This poll, by the way, more than 1,700 people was conducted in mid-August of 2021. The same goes for monitoring Americans' internet use. Just 27% are in favor of it now, while 48% favored it in 2011. What's more, 51 oppose that now, just 37% opposed in 2011. When it comes to the government reading emails sent to or from people outside the U.S., just 27% are in favor of it now, 47% were in favor of it 10 years ago. Just 14% of Americans polled say that they are in favor of the government listening in on phone calls made in the U.S. 23% said it was acceptable in 2011. The polling also showed changes in other related areas. In 2021, just 15% favor racial or ethnic profiling at airports. Back in 2011, the support was 35%. Also, when it comes to airports, 44% favor full body scans or pat-downs at the airports. In 2013, a similar poll found 62% favored those security measures. Uh, It's kind of interesting with respect to the security measures at airports. It says 44% favor full body scans or pat-downs. We may not favor it, but I think that's something that most people still largely accept Uh, i don't know that there's a a huge push to get rid of the security measures at airports but again just one example of how things drastically changed immediately in the aftermath of 9-11 and there are two ways of looking at this you look at all of the uh, support for these uh, enhanced security precautions and on the one hand you could say well the further we get from 9-11 the more of a laissez-faire attitude we have toward these types of security measures that we deemed essential at the time so some of that may be again farther in the rearview mirror you get from 9-11 you feel differently about it the other flip side of that argument is that over time we have uh, come to take a much more reasoned approach to security as opposed to a knee-jerk reaction in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. Both of those are probably valid points. Boy, it seems hard to believe that we're just past the fair. It seems like we're just past the fair, and already it's mid-September. 
My goodness, time just flies. Uh, Jennifer Little is here from the uh, Hancock County OSU Extension Family and Consumer Sciences uh, Educator. And uh, I know uh, that uh, folks at uh, Extension, especially 4-H, uh, still in recovery mode after the the fair. Uh, Understandable. They were very busy uh, out there. Great fair. I, um, being my first fair as extension educator, I loved being able to be out there at the Grange Building, meeting people. I'd love to awesome. stop by. Yeah. And great weather and all of oh, that. So perfect yeah. weather. Got to open that brand new youth building, which was Absolutely. a gorgeous facility, and mm-hmm. lots of people seem really pleased with that. And I mm-hmm. got to do some events with kids and families in there. So again, I I thought it was a great way. It's kind of like a homecoming event. For the community of Hancock County, and I Absolutely. got to be part of that. I even got to be a part of um, judging cookie, the cookie, <laughs> cookie How do you baked get good that job. Yeah, yeah, it's a rough that job, job and someone's gonna... got to do it. So, uh, yeah, when they asked me that, that was that was an easy yes. <laughs> uh, no, no question about it. So now that we are past all of that, and again, as we uh, talk about, we, we're back into back to school season, mid September. Uh, you are uh, getting set to launch once again the Real Money Real World uh, prog- uh, financial literacy program for students in area schools. Yes, yes. In fact, um, we're meeting with some of our um, local partners um, this afternoon to get some planning underway. We it's a um, event that we do in all of the Finley um, middle schools. Also, we work at some of the county schools and high school and middle school level. So mm-hmm. we're excited about getting that program. Last year they did a real modified version of that kind right. of like everything was virtual. So mm-hmm. so getting back into being in the schools and we do as a part of that program we do a couple lessons with um, groups of students and then we do like a large simulation where kids learn learn about what it's like to have a budget you know live within their means and considering expenses like pay all the bills yes mortgage, the bills. Yeah. mortgage <laughs> yes. and you know all of those things yeah, yeah yeah and they come to the realization that money does not grow on trees <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's been a really good program and we're excited to get that going again and um, it'll be new for Tori, the 4-H educator, and I to do it. Jamie, our program assistant, she was involved in the virtual experience last year. So so we're excited about getting things live and in person and being mm-hmm. able to offer the full experience. And Because that is such uh, important information. It's such a, an important educational lesson for uh, students, especially at that age, uh, to yeah. learn, as you said, money doesn't grow on trees. There is a real money, real world, just as the uh, uh, program suggests. Yeah. Um, and in fact, the Ohio State Treasurer's Office is a partner with Extension this year. So we've been reached they reached out to us about um, being able to support what we're doing and, and help solicit volunteers. Plus, uh, Hancock Federal Credit Union is another one of our partners that's a big part of that. So it's great to see um, partnering from the state level on down to the community yeah. level and, and people supporting this important lesson yeah. for our students. Life lessons. Yes. Life yes, lessons. For sure. uh, you've got a couple of other uh, programs that are uh, coming up, one for the uh, entire community that actually be happening at the library. Yes, yes. Um, I am... Involved with Eat Well, Live Well, and it's an ongoing series that we're kicking off tomorrow night, um, and it will be for adults um, downstairs in their community room. And if people are interested, they can to sign up, they contact the Hancock County Library. But it'll be a monthly um, feature where we'll highlight a food topic or nutrition-related topic, and people get to eat. As long as you know we are able to do food-related things, people will be able to have taste some of the things I prepare and we'll talk about things. This particular month is actually Latin American month. So we're going to feature some okay. healthy um, Hispanic Latin American food. Okay. So I'm Very excited good. about that. Yeah. So trying some new things and you people know, get taste of. One, one of the things that we talk about in programs like that is uh, we kind of uh, chuckle about it. Is, you know, oh, there's food samples. So there's food. <laughs> Come out and enjoy the food. But that actually is a, a very important component because it's one thing to talk about eating healthy. It's something else entirely to say, here's what this uh, tastes like when it's, you know, this is good food. I mean, it's, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually understand that, hey, you can do this and it's still tasty. It's still good and it's healthy. Yes, yes. Because so. you really have to. Um, be able to convince people that doing things right and doing things healthy can be enjoyable. I mean, a big part of um, the eating experience, especially here, you know, in all cultures is food. I mean, we come together around food. Food's an important part of our life. It's also Mm -hmm. nourishment for our bodies, but there are ways you can make it enjoyable, taste good, and 
convenient, easy to fix. I also try, I try to focus on things that are easy. We all are time strapped these days. Absolutely. So trying to think about things that, you know, ways that we can prepare foods ahead of time or things that are quick to prepare with just a couple things and maybe can be utilized in multiple dishes. Like if you buy, you know, whole grain tortillas, you can use them multiple different ways and and add health to whatever you're fixing. So all of these things will be stuff that you'll be talking yeah. about uh, in the uh, Eat Well, Live Well uh, program. And again, that's monthly at the library beginning tomorrow? Yes, so, yes. And right. before 30 to 530, and people okay. can check out the um, website, the library website for that. And um, speaking of websites, I was just mentioned that as I'm getting programming going and still feeling kind of get my bearing here in Hancock County, we're in the process of updating our website with upcoming programs. Some other things that are happening right now is with Harvest. We're getting a lot of mm-hmm. um, food preservation questions. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> speaking of food, I, this is big canning season or it's coming up yes. on canning season. Yes, so. and so I'm, I am I love helping people out with, with those questions. We actually normally in a typical year would be doing um, – Pressure canner lid testing, that's something that most ex- many extension offices offer throughout the counties. And we have a testing kit. Unfortunately, it is still being calibrated. But um, we actually ha- can point people if they want to get their canner lids tested. I can also help them find a location and let them know when our testing kit gets back and we can get that going again. And I know that that is... is- I, I'm guessing becoming more and more popular because I, I know that uh, backyard gardening has become uh, more and more popular, especially yes. as prices of everything has been have been going up yes. uh, lately. More and more people are planting stuff in the backyard and uh, maybe looking at canning. This is not something that you want to just jump into without any kind of guidance. Well, especially the, the yes, because when you're canning things and preserving them to be kept at room temperature, yeah. you do have to um, make sure that you are minimizing any risk of foodborne illness yeah so there's a right way and a wrong way actually a right way and a lots of wrong ways (laughs) well yeah but that that being said it's not as complicated as as, you know people make it out to be but there's also other ways of preserving food too you can freeze things you can dry things and and um ohio Ohio state extension has been a big proponent of that and helping people um learn to live healthy and take care of their harvest and Mm -hmm. Um, so there's actually lots of resources available on the through Ohio State University. Um, previously, we'd done a lot of in-person kind of canning food preservation classes, but in the last year and a half with COVID-19, a lot of those um, how-to mm-hmm. classes have been put in video form, so they're actually available. We'll be having information about that on our website, um, but Ohio State Extension has have a big food preservation presence um, within their resources online. And, and I would encourage so, people to, yeah, those, some of those how-to videos you can learn at your own pace, yeah. you know, in your own home, on your own time. So. And uh, any questions, uh, you're there to yes. uh, answer those. Be so. glad to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, give us a call. Make sure that you uh, know what you're doing when you get into uh, all of that. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention real quickly the uh, Farm Science Review is uh, coming up here soon. And uh, obviously, uh, everybody in agriculture knows how big uh, of an event that is. Yes, it's next y- week. Yeah. You've got tickets. Yes, we've got tickets here in the office. It's $7. Tickets ahead of time. I think it's $10 if you're going there, and it is going to still be in person. Lots of great events going on. Extension has a big presence there, so you know, feel free to stop by our office or give us a call about getting tickets for that. All right, very good. Uh, again, uh, Jennifer Little uh, with us, uh, Family and Consumer Sciences uh, Educator at the Hancock County OSU Extension. We've got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information about all of the uh, programming and uh, everything else is going on at the Extension office. Jennifer, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate thanks, Chris. It. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net, of course. Coming up tomorrow, with prices of just about everything going up these days, there has never been a better time to sharpen your negotiating skills. Have some pro tips and advice. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.